and welcome to another episode of Meanwhile in an Abandoned Warehouse. My name's Owen Kelly and I'm here with Sophie Hope and Abhijit Sinha from Project Defy. Abhijit's joining us from Bangalore in India where there's a heat wave and I'm in Helsinki where there isn't. And I'm in London where it's mild. Let's start, Abhijit. We I know we spoke uh, sometime in a previous episode about uh, Project Defy and since then uh, I was in India and saw, spent some time, spent half a day or so uh, in one of the nukes you're running. Can you tell, remind us again about, about the nukes and what they're for and how they work? Nukes are, um, are very simple spaces. They're basically um, a physical space which have computers, internet, um, a bunch of tools and a lot of trash. Um, and it, people gather there all sorts of ages, all sorts of backgrounds, um, and they come together and build stuff. Now, uh, they don't randomly build stuff, they they build it based on their own personal interests and needs. So one could imagine that all of these people who are coming together, each individual has a different need, a different interest that he or she wants to pursue. Um, and in order to achieve that need or interest, we ask them to break it down into projects. And they try to do these projects, but of course, in order to do a project, you need help. Um, and this help can be gotten from people around and from the internet. Now, since everybody is trying to achieve a goal, different goals, and they all have to build projects, then they take help from each other. And effectively, there's no need of a, of a teacher or an expert or um, uh, somebody who's, um, who knows everything and is supposed to, uh, to make sure that everybody else uh, learns. Uh, everybody is learning out of their own complete own uh, volition and their own interest and uh, their own perceived need. So that's basically what um, the nuke is and it is different in every community. It evolves differently, it grows differently. It's much like a seed that will grow into a plant but it will grow slightly different based on the environment it is in. Um, so yeah, I think that's a fair description of it. Okay, well, when when we saw the nuke in Kochi, uh, there was a there was a worker or a leader, whatever one wants to call him. So where did he come from? In the sense that, uh, did you appoint him, or what was his what's his precise relationship to the self learning process? So Nikhil, uh, is I believe who you're talking about, yeah. Um, so Nikhil. Um, we met him when we had just opened the space and we had nobody at that time, we had just a house and uh, uh, nothing yet um, set up um, and Nikhil at that time was working um, in one of the hotels um, and the night shift of the reception um, and he was uh, well of course looking for a different thing to do, uh, looking for a new job and wanted to pursue a different sort of a life in his um, uh, you know, just wanted to do something different. Um, and so we told him about um, the space and we actually invited him initially as a, as a learner, as, you know, as we would invite others. We said, hey, soon we will be starting the space. Um, but then we actually asked him to become the nuke manager. So Nikhil comes from the same uh, area, the same, um, uh, from Fort Cochin. He stays there, he works there. Um, his family actually is from a different village. Uh, but he's been around for a while, and uh, his the role of a nuke manager is 
um, not uh, so much different from the role of a learner. Um, actually, the the nook manager is uh, is playing a sort of an extra role um, in that um, one being, of course, the, as a as somebody who's responsible to make sure that the space is open and accessible. So when you start a new space. Um, we depend on one person to make sure that okay the space will be open it will be accessible to people for the new people who will come they will be uh, able to access the community of learners and they'll be able to gel with them um, we have something called the induction program which uh, is run sort of every quarter uh, so that the, all the new people who come um, can understand how to use the space and get connected with the community of learners with time the role of the Nook manager also changes. More people start taking uh, initiative. Um, you would see now that Nikhil is actually not staying in the space all the time. He goes out, comes in, and there are other people who keep the space open informally. But he's our sort of point of contact. So if we want to talk to uh, the space or we want to understand what's happening in the Nook, we want to get a... So he writes a report at the end of every month of what are the things that are being done. Uh, then we get that information from him. Uh, but besides that, he tries to do his own projects and tries to pursue um, what he uh, dreams about. So um, that is the sort of a balance that a group manager has to play. But uh, essentially the difference, what we feel of a nook manager is uh, unlike in schools where the, the person who's sort of leading is a teacher, um, uh, the nook manager is actually one of the best learners in the space so somebody who exemplifies um, that self-learning is, is is really good with that and and then is able to encourage other people to to keep uh, struggling and to keep trying um, and it is a struggle self-learning is not at all easy um, and especially if you're changing into self-learning from you know uh, from a regular instruction based learning so uh, that's his role that he's been playing and he's I think been there for for slightly over a year now and Yes, I mean, Owen, I was going to ask you what you, because um, uh, you were just saying you visited um, a nuke in, uh, yeah, in Kochi, and it was, what was that like? What did you, what was happening there in, practically when you were visiting? Well, it, um, I have to say it felt quite familiar from my days as a community artist. It, in modern terms, I'd, pro I'd probably describe it as a makerspace. A makerspace, yeah. Yes. Uh, it also it had lots of elements of, of, of old community art spaces I'm familiar with. Uh, what was actually happening there, it, it's a small building, there are three rooms. Uh, in one room there are a small number of computers and there were young boys of 12, 11, 12, 13 playing computer games not not state of the art computer games, but uh, fairly simple, fairly old fashioned computer games on fairly low power computers. I couldn't tell. There were a number of teenage girls hanging around the entrance to the room, and I found obviously I was there for the first time, and I don't want to jump to conclusions. So I found it difficult to say for a with any degree of certainty, whether the boys were the usual users of the computers or whether I simply happened to walk in when a small group of boys were using the computers. And if I'd walked in the next afternoon, I'd have found the teenage girls using the computers and some small boys 
standing around the end of the room. In the middle room, there were a number of uh, women aged between about 25 and 45 maybe, who were making, who were sewing, who were making clothes. And Abhiji sat with them while I was there and he was taking them through, uh, he was answering some questions and he was taking them through the process of building what they were, what they were doing into a company, into something from which they could earn money. So he was talking about uh, getting grants to establish companies, finding out about markets, making certain that uh, you were designing, designing clothes that people actually wanted. And that was, that was very interesting because it seemed to me that there were the women there fell into, into a series of roles. There were one or two women who were actively asking questions and to whom the others seemed to, if not defer, then they, they gave them space so that these women could, act, could ask Abhiji the questions and get the answers they needed to know. The, uh, there, was all, there were also, the, root, the walls were covered with children's paintings and drawings and some of the children wandered in to show us their paintings and drawings and talk us through them. And then there was a third room which had a, a couch and was, a, a, was a, a quiet space, a rest space. So there were, and it also had a fan. So, <laughs> so I and a couple of teenage boys sat in there from time to time and they were on their phones and, and talking and I was sitting there happily not being too hot. So that's, that's how it, it was very busy, very lively and... It was, it was it reminded me of a community art space in that it was under-resourced in a, in a pleasant way. By that, I don't mean it, 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 the whole place didn't have anything. I meant that people were obviously making do and bringing things in and were interested and exciting about, excited about that process of bringing things in. What I didn't fully understand and I'll ask Abhiji about this now. It, obviously, because it was my one-time visit, as I said earlier, I didn't have any opinion about the fact that uh, boys were sitting on the computers because I was very well aware if I'd come in another four or five times, that could have been the only time they were sitting on the computers. I was also thinking about what it would be like to come in as a newcomer. I mean, I was coming in as a newcomer, but I was there as a visitor. I was not... Nobody was expecting me to come in for the next three weeks and start wanting to sew things. How does it work in terms of first-mover advantage? In other words, there seemed to be a group in both rooms. There were a group of young boys who knew each other and some older girls who knew each other and knew the young boys. And there were a group of women who, as I said, had seemed to have developed an informal hierarchy where there were two women who were the spokespeople and were talking to Abhijit and asking detailed questions and other people who were happily standing around or sitting around nodding and and taking in the information. How does it work 
when somebody comes into a nuke when it's operational is it is there is there some system by which they they gain acceptance or is it completely informal like going into going into a marketplace and seeing who talks to you yeah so I think we try to have a system which is that um, we try to say that okay you know what instead of taking people one by one why not um, create an opening sort of every three months and so uh, instead of one person coming at a, one new person coming at a time you'd have let's say ten new people who come and then you can run them through the induction process and that gives them a good opportunity to connect with the people and to start building the projects and all of that but that doesn't always happen and um, usually we see with nook managers they don't want to say no either uh, which is um, which is a th- something that I, I try not to judge um, and uh, what they end up I think doing is they make a sort of an informal induction process which is more personalized in that that um, the person comes in the nook manager goes and talks to that person connects that person with other people in the nook and maybe this new person is just spending a few days watching and not doing anything um, and eventually getting curious and eventually um, either asking somebody else who's doing a project that can I join in or uh, somebody else is asking for the, the person hey I need some help uh, could you maybe you know hold this cloth while I cut it and, and um, excuses like that so um, it seems that every nook seems to have some sort of an informal process to uh, engage uh, uh, people even if they are not coming all at the same time and anyway they would go through the induction process when the when the induction is supposed to happen but they are not the nook managers don't send them back if they have come before um, and try to figure out a, an alternative method um, even to the extent of uh, maybe sitting down with the person and saying okay what do you want to do um, uh, if you don't know what you want to do then why not uh, check out this website there's a lot of things here to do you don't have to think just pick up one thing and start um, so this is a lot on the nook managers sort of discretion uh, or how the sort of community is building um, and, and uh, whether they yeah, say yes or they say no to informally taking people and saying that okay no we open only when we open um, that's uh, a little bit on them uh, we try to discuss about these things in our forum calls uh, we try to discuss um, how are we um, engaging more and more people how do we engage people who are not coming to the space as well uh, communities around who I think some of the discussion I think we had even then when you were there that what if you participated in festivals around what if the, you know the ambition was uh, that much that uh, uh, it is not just what we do in the space but what uh, we do uh, as the space um, in in the larger community, so there's uh, yeah there's it's a whole lot of um, um, philosophical discussions that we then get into, but uh, there's uh, there's no clear answer. Sometimes we don't even know like what this nuke is actually following in order to invite or um, make the person gel in, but we try to keep track of are there failures in that process. So we try to ask, hey. Um, are people coming and uh, if they say no but then they say but yeah three people came last week and uh, we say okay so what happened to those three new people and uh, oh they didn't continue and then that's a good point to start a conversation and say okay let's figure out why um, and where did we go wrong 
so that's usually the way of uh, conversing as opposed to creating one approach for all the spaces i'm right aren't i abhiji that um the nukes the intention is that all of the nukes will attain independence so you're not you don't see yourselves as spending your lifetime running nukes so much as you're setting them up and then they will go off and become autonomous is that correct yes yes i think even for the nuke managers or anybody who's there i don't see anybody who's going to spend their lifetime forever in the nuke um it will have different people there and it will change its meaning accordingly as people change um our our or my personal task or as defy even is to to get it started and then uh, hand over so one of the things we were talking about when when i was in kochi was uh the idea you had about rage which if i remember correctly stands for research into alternative global education is that right yes i got it yeah. i remember it. wow okay <laughs> even well, i don't remember it so well now <laughs> if i understand you correctly then uh nukes and the activities that project defy are putting into uh, action are supposed to be experiments into autonomous learning and the idea with rage was to establish a f- an after the event firm theoretical background for these so am i right that in the long term the nukes are experiments and important as they are what you will learn will turn into a blueprint that you can show other people and that blueprint will be in what you were currently calling rage is that correct that is that is uh, very precisely correct um by no means do we assume that uh, we have reached the final format of a great education um i think what we have reached is um uh, you know we have just pricked the balloon and uh, now we have to see what happens and uh, uh, so there's there's a whole, every project and each project will have its impact every nook will create impact um as it continues to exist but uh, their very existence is um what we hope to use as testimony of proving that hey something else can also work um and i think rage is a way to put that in a language that people will understand um not everybody will probably come and see a nook and even if they see it maybe they will not uh, completely understand it because of the time that they can actually spend there um and even if they understand it maybe they will not believe it because um it has not been proven with a scientific method or something like that so uh, and it's not just about nooks um uh, rage is is a, is a is a larger um uh, vision that uh, maybe it's us who are on the right track maybe we are on the wrong one maybe there are others who are on the right track so um rage would then help in figuring out and answer some of these questions and turning them into a language that people in the around the world will understand um so yes um i think um it's quite a uh, a ridiculous thing that mainstream education does not think of itself as an experiment uh, if it did it would probably do a little bit better um we would like to think that every uh, setup that we are doing is an experiment and continues to be um and uh, there needs to be a space uh, a structure 
um, or an entity or something that uh, can understand these experiments and and put them down um, from just our minds or brains or experiences to um, in a format that will be accessible to more and more people around the world so they can have uh, faith in something else. They really, um, the experiments that you're doing remind me of the, um, I read it a long time ago, but the de-schooling society, the Ivan Illich book from the 70s, early 70s I think, wasn't it? Um, and I'm just wondering if, I mean a lot of that kind of radical pedagogy mm-hmm. um, history is feels really sort of um, infused and part and parcel of your of, of the uh, of the nukes as well um, feels familiar but really I, I think in the context of the UK for example um, those sorts of experiments are, ha- are still happening on the margins because the mainstream is um, you know education system is so dominant it's hard to find spaces for experiment within within those dominant education system so they end up being like these alternatives um that e- they're easily marginalized and go oh yeah some interesting stuff happening over yes. there you know while the, the the um dominant form of education system kind of um persists um but yeah i think ivan e- illich's de-schooling yeah. society is feels yeah feels very pertinent still i think mm. and, and and inspiring um but I'm sure there are lots of other references that you're, you're uh, refer, you know, you're using in your research as well. No, I, I mean, the funny thing is that after I start, see, when I started this experiment or the first phase, I was not an educator. I had not read any John Holt books or um, I don't know all these about uh, Summer uh, Summer Hill and uh, Sudbury, and I had no idea about these things. Right? Um, I was just doing my experiment and. Uh, I thought it's better to find out later that I am wrong and, and not uh, start with the assumption that I am wrong. So uh, I did not go asking too many questions. But what uh, happened is, is is that after we created the nuke and after we started looking backwards, and then it felt like, oh, hey, a lot of other people have said exactly the same thing. And they've been saying it over and over again. Um, and it's... Right? Um, so what is happening here? Like... Uh, Gandhi said it, Tagore said it, uh, John Holt said it, I mean countless, countless number of people uh, just kept saying that hey just stop this nonsense and, and this educational format, uh, the industrial uh, mode of learning is just not going to work um, but then we still continue and uh, and uh, no matter how many books we are writing it's not changing. So um, then I felt that the, I think the responsibility is slightly more than just telling the world uh, that an alternative can exist, uh, you have to show them and prove it at the same time that um, we have to show executionally. Um, I mean, Ken Robinson has been a critique of uh, mainstream schooling. He's from UK and uh, he's been uh, critiquing mainstream schooling for, for uh, very very well on TED Talks. Um, but then uh, then he's a great speaker. Um, but he, unless he shows an alternative, people will always go back and say, okay, but then can we take some pieces of what you're saying and incorporate in the educational system? And that's not going to work. I mean, you you have to uh, you have to challenge it uh, a little mm-hmm. bit beyond that. Um, so that's what we try to do: balance the proving and the showing both, so that um, people can actually try it out. They can actually see it. They can actually feel it. Uh, they can come to a book and experience it. Um, but then uh, rage, I think, will take care of. Okay, I've experienced it, and here is hard evidence. 
um, or not. Maybe rage comes up and says, hey, whatever you did so far was just absolutely rubbish. But then, okay, that makes sense too, right? And, <laughs> and, and then we at least know that, okay, we are wrong. Let's do something else. But, um, uh, but I think um, you just have to hit the nail uh, very, very precisely here because the system that we're trying to break, um, and, you know, I always laugh about this because in India we kept thinking uh, for a very long time that the, this whole system is just stupid. Uh, it needs to be made more intelligent and, and uh, just make it better and slightly more better and slightly more better uh, and then we'll be able to fix it at some point. Um, people somehow forget to see the genius of the uh, the British-born education system, the industrial education system. It's just pretty genius. Um, it can run itself. It produces the people it needs. It produces the money it needs. Um, it can... Um, it produces the mindset it needs to perpetuate um, and, uh, and that is uh, bloody clever I mean uh, it not only sort of uh, tells people that uh, hey get a job and, and you know uh, for you to win others must lose um, uh, I mean they make people ambitious about it <laughs> and so there, there's um, and that's where I think most of us in India uh, went wrong and I guess in many other countries uh, where we've been trying to solve the problem of education for the last what 60, 70 years, um, uh, we forgot that there is nothing to solve. Um, nothing is broken here. It is working the, the way it is designed. Um, and if you want to change something, you change the design. Uh, don't try to uh, fix uh, a brick here and there. So um, I think that's uh, that's what makes all of this pretty thrilling and interesting. Um, and in that sense, uh, we feel our, our role is pretty significant then. So where do you see yourself and Projectify and Rage being in four or five years' time, ideally? And I should say, before I ask you to answer that, I don't think we've ever explicitly said in this episode that DEFI stands for Defining Education for Yourself. Yeah, Design Education so for I'll Yourself. Just throw that in. But they're almost the same thing. Oh, is it design? Okay, <laughs> fine. Well, where, do you see, where do you see DEFI and Rage being in four or five years time if, if all goes well um, that's such a hard question to answer because um, there are uh, uh, so at least for defy I think rage is something that uh, is uh, has a more cleaner path as opposed to defy well because um, defy clearly says that it tries to challenge the system and when you try to challenge the system one of two things usually happen um, Either um, either the people just all stand up together and say, hey, great, this new thing is better than the system we have, which is, a, uh, which is uh, probably a happy ending sort of a situation. Uh, the not so happy ending situation can be where people say or the system says, um, hey, bug off, uh, we, we, we don't want you changing anything. Um, and, and then... Uh, uh, pushes back instead uh, and that's when uh, well some uh, I have had this experience a little bit very small in the past where people felt very threatened uh, that uh, the system would change and um, I have had people shouting at me screaming at me and telling me that uh, uh, who am I and uh, um, you know uh, uh, what do I know I have not studied education for 25 years um, and I said that's precisely why <laughs> and uh, then the, the, this is a, a possibility <laughs> that um, that uh, going forward 
people take that as a threat and they start thinking that uh, change is not something we want and if I have to put my money on it I think the possibility of the second happening is more than the possibility of the first just the way uh, things function politically at this point um, just the way change is resisted so uh, strongly um, around us at this point of time in, uh, in history so um, that may be one of two ways uh, rage on the other hand I feel uh, would be a more uh, a collaborative and open thing um, it would not just be us or uh, just uh, under one organization we want to start it yes but uh, we want to bring lots of partners there's tons and tons and tons of people experimenting with learning there are just so many so many experiments in the world um, and if they could find a place uh, that says hey we hear you let us help you prove your work um, let us help you turn it into a language that um, that maybe even you don't want to turn it into but for the world to recognize it um, and um, maybe um, uh, we help it make it slightly more easier so that maybe from alternative um, you can at least become the other <laughs> and, and it, it's slightly uh, more better and less marginalized um, and it's not for the just for the crazy people to go to or uh, you know the hippie parents or, or the stuff like that it's, um, it changes its image so um, that is the hope of rage but the other sort of um, angle is I just hate the fact that research always happens in um, in glass buildings and in isolation um, I feel research uh, at least in the field of learning and education should be a community thing uh, people getting together um, experimenting with learning um, together with you know as opposed to uh, gu guinea pigs on which we try out uh, and see if things work or not um, so um, I have not really seen a community research environment I have not seen a place that is open where uh, you don't need a PhD to be there. Um, you need ideas. You need uh, a way, and uh, you need to go and talk to people. And say, hey, what about if we do this? Um, this is a problem. This is a question that we want to find answer to. Are you curious as I am? And then, if you are, let's give it a shot. Um, and uh, that sort of a community collaborative research environment, um, I would love to see. <laughs> and um, if that can happen, if we are successful in in building rage that way. Uh, well, that, there's nothing like it, isn't it? <laughs> Owen, one thing we didn't ask, and apologies because my um, the sound is not great at my end. Um, but the uh, we didn't ask about this this term that we're in investigating: cultural democracy. <laughs> Let me just ask you a final question, then, Abby. Uh, the term cultural democracy is one that uh, has been used in Western Europe for 20 or 30 years. Does it have any resonance in India? Is that a term that you use, recognise, find useful? <laughs> cultural democracy, you say, yes. Yeah? But the idea behind the, the, the idea of cultural democracy is not at all distant from what you're doing. The idea has one parent, at least, in the Universal Declaration of Human Rights where it says everybody has the right to participate in the culture into which they, in which they live. And everybody has a responsibility to the community in which they live. Those are in the Articles, uh, articles 27 and 29, I think. 
And the notion of cultural democracy originally arose from the community arts movement, I think, and it defined a goal. That is, we wanted to fight for everyone to have the right to approach culture democratically as they approach uh, politics democratically. And that, as you were saying, it should be the community that decides what it wants and it should be, there should be a democratic process through which that decision-making happens. Is that, that sim- broadly speaking, similar to what you're talking about? So, um, I think this is what we aim to do or build um, in an environment where, uh, well, forget, uh, <laughs> I mean, you would expect that politics would be democracy and, and even that isn't uh, at this point of time in this country. Um, and we have the two words, culture and democracy. Uh, culture, which is currently being used for politics and being used um, um, as, a, as, as a monochromatic uh, uh, curtain that uh, some of them, uh, or actually a very large number of people, want to just lay down over the entire society and say, hey, we are one culture and one culture only. And if you are not, then you, are, uh, you don't belong to this country anymore. Right, um, that's our stat- state with uh, culture at this point. Um, democracy, on the other hand, uh, what has happened in the last few uh, years is uh, such a uh, interesting political phenomena has been created of almost um, a sort of a fascist uh, sort of a way um, that um, people have are voluntarily uh, agreeing to give up democracy. Uh, they don't know that, but when they say and they support things which are fascist, then you are in effect giving away uh, your democracy, and you're saying, "Yeah, it's okay, take it away, and uh, let's uh, let's have one person rule this country." And uh, so um, we are a little bit far away from talking about cultural democracy um, over the history of of India. Um, uh, culture uh, took a shape of. Um, uh, of identity and identity was used for politics right? um, and uh, that has really created a massive amount of fiction and we are at the cusp of it at this point of time um, we have lost most of our uh, community spaces there are no places where people gather and just hang out and talk to each other talk openly freely um, uh, and democracy is what most of us just don't understand anymore so um, I think we are uh, going to struggle with this uh, for a while, but the Nuke experiment uh, that does not say the word cultural democracy, but creates it in many ways. Um, and uh, I, my hope is that um, if people experience it, and maybe they start comparing it with the rest of their life, uh, or the rest of the society that they live in, maybe they start questioning, hey, why is it uh, different when I come to the nook and then why does it uh, uh, become different why can't I meet the same people when I go outside um, why can't I hang out with them why can't I have dinner with them why can't, like, why can't I even agree with what they say um, because they belong to a different uh, culture they belong to a different community why can't they be part of mine uh, as we are all part of um, uh, a culture that has no definition at the nook so um, why, what is stopping and it is my hope that that question starts coming um, at this point, I think I try to uh, not be the one who asks all the questions. I try to be the one um, who uh, is keenly waiting for uh, some of the uh, people who are at the nooks to start asking these questions. 
um, and uh, start getting confused about these things and then you have a hey I'm also confused about it and so can we do something together so um, I think that's where we stand but I understand how um, well the the whole world is acting uh, quite weird in my opinion and um, it is an important topic to discuss the um, being able to uh, well we've seen with the refugee crisis and uh, well they made it a crisis because of the very fact that there was um, a cultural um, issue and uh, the problem was actually um, the distance between uh, two cultures uh, uh, almost created uh, while uh, trying to help <laughs> that uh, is uh, is is an interesting phenomenon by itself, but um, but I mean, let's also fight for it, but also let's try to create more and more excuses for um, uh, for cultural democracy to actually take place, for communities to actually gather, for uh, people to actually participate with other people who they don't agree with, uh, don't uh, whose religions they don't believe in, uh, whose ideologies they don't uh, you know uh, accept, uh, but hey, they will share a meal. Uh, they'll build a little project together and that is okay so I think that's a good point to start that was um, amazing thanks so much so that's, really great to hear that's my hope I, at this point I think yeah okay thank you thank you Abhijit thank, thank you very you. much okay we'll stop there and more next time thank you see ya Bye-bye, have a good day.